and welcome to the Aftershock Central Podcast with Martin and Travis. What's up, yeah. Travis? Yo, what's up, Martino? You know, I'm living the dream every day, bro. Literally oh, every so day. Every day. Life yeah. is but a and dream. And today that dream is Yom Kippur. Happy Yom Kippur, everybody. <laughs> mm. Yes. It's, uh, it's, it's really weird that you mentioned that. I never made the connection until like a couple of weeks ago. Because, uh, you know, they use a, uh, a, lunar, a lunar calendar in, in the Jewish faith. And when it was the new year, it was the new moon. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that explains it all. Anyways. Yes. Well, the new year is, is Rosh Hashanah. Yes. yes that I was know. last week. Yeah. Uh, last. Damn, has it only been a week? Mm-hmm. Man. Moon's almost full, Travis. Better be careful. Might turn into oh, yeah. a werewolf. <laughs> I'm willing to take that chance. <laughs> uh, welcome, everybody, to the show where we talk about religious holidays and moon phases. We didn't even talk about uh, Halloween. Hello. Oh, yeah. That's coming up, too, isn't it? Yeah, dude. I mean, uh, it's it's Halloween-y season, right? Yeah. halloween season is my favorite season. Even though I'm wearing a Christmas shirt, yeah. Halloween's my favorite. You are all confused, dude. Uh, I'm not confused, man. I told you. I'm living the dream. It's, it's all happening at the same time, right? Yeah, there's no time. You got you're, it. You're experiencing life outside of time. You experience all moments at the same time. You got it. See, Travis? Yeah. You're I, good, man. You, you've been doing your, your Grit Morrison research. I'm proud of you. Yes. That's the research I've been doing. <laughs> Oh, this sounds like good research. We might need to talk about it afterwards. Uh, let's. Uh, uh, well, I, I told you I've been reading a lot of heavy metal, so actually, like you, yeah. you were, you were on point. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. So if you're talking about that research, then yes. Uh, by the way, yeah, I cool. did read that uh, story you recommended, but I have not read it yet with the uh, the augmented reality app. I just read the oh, story. Dude, it'll yeah. take a minute, man. Just, I know. Just, I know. Just fire that up, uh, you know, after after we finish. Yeah. It's, uh, it's dope. Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah. Neon Wasteland. Neon Wasteland. Really good stuff. I really enjoyed it, by the way. I'm waiting until you see the, the like, the full deal. I know. It's going to blow my mind. It's going to blow my mind. Uh, all right. Let's uh, not talk about heavy metal. Let's talk about Aftershock. And we are going to kick okay. things off. <laughs> We're going to kick things off talking about Animosity number 24, written by Marguerite Bennett, with art by Elton Tomasi and Raphael De La Torre, colors by Rob Schwager, and letters by Taylor Esposito. You got the beer? Esposito. <laughs> um, this, uh, I, I was actually a little surprised about this, uh, Travis, and I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Uh, we, uh, mm-hmm. we got, a fairly extended story. I mean, I would say like the first 22 issues were kind of one story. Um, and then with 23, we kind of got a reset and we have these, the, the, the new bad guys popping in from the wasteland. And, uh, I thought by like this issue, we'd have kind of a, a pickup of pace, right? Cause last issue was kind of stepping back a little bit. Let's regroup after, you know, breaking all these people out of this compound, um, let's reestablish some kind of society, whatever. 
And, and so I expected this one to kind of really get into the heat of things. Um, but it was, it was also kind of a laid back issue. And, uh, and it took me by surprise. Not that it wasn't good. Uh, and not that it didn't progress the story. Uh, but I'm curious your thoughts on that if you felt the same way or not. Yeah, man. Uh, like, I think it's fair to say that I, I, you know, I'm kind of feeling right now a sense of like, you know, where exactly is this going? You, you know, like, you know, I, like, I honestly, you know, I, I think that, you know, it kind of breaks down into arcs, you know, and like, like there's been a few arcs, you know, like the Walt City arc that was after the, you know, like the Bees arc and, you know, like after the Walt City it was the like Trip and Balls arc and, <laughs> uh, you know, now like we're starting a new one. Like, I can see that, like, like, you know, we're kind of moving geographically. Like, you know, now everybody, well, at least Jesse and Sandor and those in tow are headed towards Texas. Right. Uh, making progress geographically. Um, but, like, it, like, it feels slightly like, like, okay, but where's this going? You know, it's like, like, in, like, in reading Saga, I would describe how I feel about it as, like, it's meandering a little bit. It's hmm. like, okay, but it's, like, is there actually, uh, like, a, you know, kind of a, co- you know, I don't want to, like, I definitely, like, enjoy kind of tight, linear, like, storytelling. And so, like, I want for the things that you take time on to, like, all be headed t- in the same direction, in a sense, you know, like that stuff, and like obviously the direction that we're seeing, largely speaking, is that they're headed towards San Francisco, right? You know, it's like that seems to be where we're going, but you know, like in arcs, and you know, like I, it's understandable, like it's a big country, and they have to get there, um, but I'm kind of like, I guess, ready for them to get there already. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I if I want to rush getting there. Uh, I'm I'm really interested in these new bad guys, right? And and it makes sense that like as they move west, they'd meet new groups where they have to face them for whatever whatever reason is. Uh, like right now, they need to go get the lemur, right? Because he's been kidnapped. Um, and I'm I'm curious how like this new wasteland society works. Because uh, it's obviously very different from the stuff that we're seeing on the East Coast, um, which of course makes sense, right? Because like on the East Coast, you would have a lot bigger cities, more a bigger population, uh, and not that like Texas doesn't have a big population, and it's it's a huge state, uh, but it's also like a lot flatter. Like the geography's different, the the culture was already different, and I'm curious to see what Marguerite's take is going to be on how that impacts the way that this new place has restructured their society. Uh, I think all that's going to be really interesting. And and judging from what we saw in this issue, it almost feels like a little Mad Maxi, you know what I mean? Like these guys are riding around in this mm-hmm. buggy with a cart behind it. Um, and like you can see it, they're going through the desert basically. Um which, like, I'm pretty good at geography. I'm trying to place, like, exactly where this is happening. Um, I think, I think maybe I'm, I'm placing it a little too far east. Uh, I think they, they must be a lot farther than the Mississippi. 
from from where I'm picturing this happening, because uh, it's like straight up desert. And uh, and yes, there is desert in Texas, uh, but you know the part where I lived in Texas for about a year, a little over a year, and the part where I was at was not a desert because uh, it was near the Louisiana border. Uh, so it was very hot and humid, and a uh, ton of trees and swamps. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know. Just because I live there, I would have liked to see them go through that. And maybe there's a little bit of that because we see them going uh, over the river, uh, very small river, by the way. That was definitely not the Mississippi, um, where they had to fight the uh, the alligator. Uh, I thought that was cool. Because at first I was like, why is this alligator not talking? Like, they're just fighting. Uh, but then you see him like, you know, he's like, you bunch of criminals, like you're not paying the toll or whatever. Uh, I thought that was cool that like that would be the job that an alligator has, right? It's to be like the toll collector at a, at a river. Um, but we'll see. I, I'm, I'm curious, but, but you're right. I think in terms of like advancing what it seems the ultimate goal of the story will be, it did not do that. Um, and I don't think it even did a whole lot for advancing where the current story is going. Uh, it, it still felt very much like a step back and a look at like Sandor and Jesse's relationship more than anything. Um, you know, Jesse has to deal with that gruesome scene, right? Like they blindfold her and take her to this like birthday party they've set up for her, and the animals are like covered in sludge, right? Uh, which I was, I was taking it back at first. Like when I first saw that panel, I was like, holy crap, like did they get killed and dismembered? Like right next to the birthday cake, uh, that was not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, like if that was just my personal thing, or if maybe the art didn't convey that well enough. Um, but that kind of took me a little by surprise. Uh, and then also, like the the quick, it seemed really quick the relationship that Jesse formed with this woman. I, I I don't know if they said her name or not. Uh, the woman that she's uh, going after Sandor with. Um, it seemed like that was pretty quick, and and I know that for us, it's only been like an issue or two, and for them, it might be like weeks between the time they broke out of the compound and where they're at now, um, but I, I would have liked to see that a, a little more of that, uh, explaining that relationship, and maybe that'll be done like as flashbacks or just through conversation as they're heading out west uh, to track Sandor down. Um but yeah, it, it was definitely very much a, a step back issue. I mean, I I will agree that uh, I was curious reading it why uh, this girl and, and I think her name is Lola, um, like kind of why she who is like fairly new to them, like why she is going with Jesse, like to do this thing specifically, you know. Um, and you could chalk it up to just like I don't know gratitude, you know, like for you know waking her up is like what she said in the issue, um, or you know I don't know if she just wants to get away from the the group in general. Um, so I assume that they will flesh that out a little bit. Um, I also agree uh, looking at that panel. Um, you know, where you first see the animals, I definitely thought they were all dead, but you know, like within a page or two, you know, like it's obvious that they are, you know, not, and they're like getting cleaned up and stuff. 
Um, so yeah, like I, that I, I wasn't really like hung in suspense for too long. Um, but my take on that like panel, the sludge is that that was, I mean, something to do with oil or like petroleum byproduct or something. Yeah. I mean, which like, I'm going to say maybe it's like, well, I just think that maybe that's the point of like this whole, um, arc is kind of like, you you know, like the, the cover of the next issue is like a dinosaur fossil. Yep. So like, I think maybe obviously the point is that like these guys actually do have access to, you know, either, you know, petroleum or, you know, like, like down to refined gasoline or whatever, you know, and it, it makes me wonder whether we have seen anybody in this universe use anything that was oil powered. Mm. Like, I don't know that we have. Yeah, we haven't. And they actually make a, a comment about that early on in the issue when they're talking about, uh, like, are we ever going to get planes back? Uh, so maybe that's kind of foreshadowing what's, uh, what's coming up next. But yeah, I, uh, I, I love that cover. When I saw it, I was like, oh, please tell me, like, somehow Marguerite has figured out how to, like, make dinosaur bones somehow come back to life and be conscious. Uh, I know that's not going to happen, obviously. But uh, that was my initial thought when I saw it. Uh, yeah, I think mm-hmm. it could be an, an interesting discussion on things uh, when that comes up. Uh, I, I do wonder, like, how much machinery they'll have. Uh, I mean, obviously they've got a vehicle, right? And they drove yeah. a very long way to get to where the, where our group was. Uh, so they definitely have a lot of resources. Uh, so that could be interesting when you actually have a showdown uh, between these two groups, uh, because obviously they'll have a lot more firepower uh, than the group that we're in has. Um, and obviously it won't be like before. Uh, you know, like every time we had a confrontation between two groups, it was like Jesse Sandor and like their buddies, right? And they like took on whole towns basically, just like them. Now, if if this group is as powerful as maybe they seem to be, uh, that's not going to work out. So it may end up being kind of like a like a Walking Dead situation, right? When you have like Negan and and Rick's group, where you have like two very large groups, and the only way for them to have a fight that makes sense is to make both groups larger. Uh, and maybe that's why we're introducing a larger cast. Uh, could be interesting. Sure. Yeah. I mean, l- let me ask you this. Um, like, after the events of this arc are all said and done, like, do you think that whoever survives is going back to the Mississippi River to get the rest of the group and then, like, head back the way that they came towards California. Yeah, that's, uh, I don't know, man. Seems like they're going real far. Yeah, it does seem that way. And it seems like the group is kind of settled in a particular place, right? Like the group is, I don't think is actually going all the way out West. It's unclear. The ones that are still with them, it seems like they are kind of, like just like following a leader, you know, mm-hmm. like they don't, I don't know that they have a direction of their own, but they certainly aren't necessarily anywhere right now. Right. Are they, you know, like they're, they may just be like stopping before they 
plan to cross a river and then it's like well yeah yeah <laughs> like we gotta wait here indefinitely i guess <laughs> uh yeah for sure yeah should be uh should be interesting um i guess we'll have to just wait until the next issue and see uh what this group is like because i don't think we really have a, a good grasp on that yet with that yeah. said though i think i think it seems like maybe we've been down on this issue uh it wasn't a bad issue by any means um, mm-hmm. I think in terms of like my rating, it may be one of my lower ratings, but I'm also pretty sure I've rated every single issue a five out of five. So that's not saying anything either. Yeah, no, I mean, like, like in talking about it, I, I definitely think that there's interesting stuff actually that they, they're setting up and like, I just want to mention two things, two other things quickly before we, we, uh, rate it up. Yeah. Uh, one being, like, I think it's interesting, maybe, it almost seems like they are suggesting that uh, the cat, Mittens or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, like, is mentally ill. I don't know if that's, if that struck you, like, like, you know, the cat's, like, like, when there's, like, the in- internal monologue about, like, you have to tell Jesse that Sandor's a killer and all that stuff. Right. Uh, like... The shadows in the background are starting to uh, move around as well, and like there seems to be like a voice that is talking to the cat. Mm. Like I don't know if you picked up on that at all. Like like it seems I I was wondering if what they're positing there is like that animals can become you know mentally ill just as easily as people now, and like everything that comes with that. Um, and the other thing that I would put in. Uh, is just that I, I thought there was a very interesting line in here where they kind of suggest like, cause Sandor is like, I'm going to hold on until jet until I think that Jesse's safe. Right. And they make a comment or like approximately like, could you survive losing her love? And he's like, Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like, I don't know, a big like meatball hanging there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to go back to your mittens point, I, um, I didn't think much of the shadow thing. Uh, I mean, I guess I could read a little more into it. Um, it just seemed like the shadows were kind of partially illustrating, like, the, the, the inner monologue that mittens was having. Uh, so kind of going from, like, the stuff that's actually there to, like her feeling imprisoned in New York. Um, I didn't see it much as like, maybe she's mentally ill. Um, but the, the scene when they, the, the page where they actually so, show Sandor, uh, kind of took me back a little bit, uh, because it, it, mm-hmm. it was a little psychedelic, if you will. Psychedelic is probably mm-hmm. not the right word. Um, but you know, cause like you see him, he's, he's giant on the page. He's got this like blue glow around them. Uh, and then there's like figures floating around them, right? Like the pills and the candles and the rats. Um, I mean, it's a gorgeous page, but, uh, mm-hmm. but it, it took me aback that like that's the impression that Mittens has of Sandor, right? With the glowing eyes. Uh, and, and it's not like we haven't seen hints of this before, right? Like we know that Sandor's killed people, um, and kind of unremorsefully, right? Cause he just wants to protect Jesse. But when you see Sandor, you don't get that like killer feeling. You feel like maybe he's a little 
gun ho sometimes about certain things. Um, but I don't necessarily get the feeling that he's a killer, but it does get mentioned every few issues. Well, especially via Mittens, you know, like yeah. Mittens, like, but it seems to be the one who suspects him the most, you know? Right. Well, and, and the thing is, Mittens would probably know the best also, right? Because Mittens lived there in the same apartment building. Yeah, I mean, but like, Mittens doesn't necessarily know all the facts. Sure. Um, you, you know, and like, like, I don't know, like... I don't know that we've seen Sandor kill anybody like besides that in the series. I, I can't remember. Yep. You know? Yep, I guess so. Um, all right. Any final thoughts on Animosity 24? Nope. I'm, I'm good. I'm good, too. I'm going to rate this a 4 out of 5. Yeah, I think that's good. Like, I will agree 4 out of 5. I definitely think that after talking about it, there's, like, a lot of interesting things that they put in here that could be, you know, expanded and explored. So hopefully they're going in some of those directions. Yeah. Right. Yep. Totally agree. All right. That means, uh, next up we will be talking about a brand new number one shoplifters will be liquidated, uh, written by Patrick Clinton with art by Stefano Simeone letters by Hassan Osmani El Hau. How'd you feel about this one? Uh, I'm I'm intrigued. Yeah, I am too. It, it, this issue was kind of bananas. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, like you know, obviously, I, I feel like you know there is a very healthy kind of uh, you know, like broadly political bent towards this one for sure. Um, and like I think it speaks to my politics. <laughs> you know, like, like mostly I, I think it manifests itself in kind of like a, you know, critique, critique of hyper capitalism. Yes. You know, um, and, you know, it's like, like what they are portraying here and like the boundaries of it, you know, like how this store exists in the context of a broader world. Um, but de- like, I don't know, like. Certainly a lot, I think, of, you know, what they're trying to portray, you know, like, I, I think that there is a lot of social commentary, uh, and it's also, like, highly satirical. Yes, very much so. Uh, what I really liked is that as, I don't know if grotesque is the right word. I think it is, um... But it's so – everything is so over-exaggerated, right? Um, like I guess we maybe we should talk like basics of the plot here. So this mm-hmm. book takes place in basically like a, a Walmart store, uh, except it's not a Walmart store and it's probably also not in the present either. Uh, the caucus store, right, or caucuses store. Mm-hmm. Which is it's basically like a Walmart, right? It's a superstore. You can get you can groceries there. You can get electronics and clothing and whatever else. And the the employees in this store are like overly like into their work, to put it mildly. Uh, we meet the the one guy. What's his name? Uh, Newsenbaum, I think something like that. Uh, he he he's kind of lost prevention. Uh, except in this world, like, they can kick the crap out of you. 
and that kind of goes along. Oh, they with can it. kill you, dude. Yeah, well, they can kill you. Well, I mean, they can kill you, but like that's kind of iffy, right? We learn a little bit about that later when we meet the boss lady, uh, where she's like, you know, it doesn't look good, like in the news outlets, and you know, like they're all fake news, but like public opinion's important, so we got to be careful and like we got to make really sure. Not like that one kid that didn't do anything, and you like whatever choked him out or whatever it was. Um, but like they're really gun ho, right? Like they're always on the lookout. Like they provide advice. Like hey, you know, if you're into this, go here. Like go check out the pet section. Um, like oh, you can't read well. Well, great. Like go buy some glasses so you can do some more shopping, right? Like there's definitely a lot of like really on the nose commentary on capitalist society. Um, and it's definitely very much a satire, but it's also not like a comedic satire, right? Like, I don't know how you felt and and I'm curious, but to me, like there were moments that were funny, but it wasn't comedy like, oh, you know, like the writer's trying to throw a joke in here. It's like the, the structure of this place is so preposterous that you can't help but laugh about it. Because you see, like, a little glimpse of reality, right? Like, the way that our world actually works. And and you can see how, like, some of this could happen just based on, like, large corporations being able to sway politics and lawmaking and public opinion. And so that, that preposterousness gives you moments where you're like, ha ha, that was funny. Like he thought he was shoplifting and he shot him in the leg. Ha ha ha. But like, it's kind of uncomfortable at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's definitely dark humor, you know, but I, I think it is supposed to be humorous, just like kind of how bleak a lot of it is. And especially like when you kind of get into uh, like the, the, protagonists like affirmations about like the company you know and kind of this like consumerist lifestyle like i think that's all supposed to be funny but like is it laugh out loud funny like i don't think that's necessarily like what they're going for you know it's it's not necessarily like like filled with punchlines and stuff yes you know Yes. Yeah, and to your point, yeah, I think it's like obviously the exaggerated nature of all of it is also like played for laughs. You know, it's like that's that's the nature of satire. You know, well, um, to, but to it com- works because it speaks to reality in a sense. Right. You know. Well, and to compare it to a different book that's definitely like comedic on purpose. Uh, I don't know if you ever read Crowded from Image, uh, but it's kind of like not yet similar thing right like so in crowded you basically have like this crowdsourced like hit app right like you can put hits on people it's like kickstarter for murder um but it's like in the context of a social network uh and there's like a lot of explicitly funny bits and funny dialogue uh but there's also a lot of like what we get here where there's just like preposterous situations that just like have you like ha yeah, because um, like you know you're like yeah that this is true except over exaggerated. Um, difference being, of course, like I said, crowded is kind of a comedy book, whereas this is not. You used the, the term dark humor. I think that's probably a a good choice of words. 
uh, for what this book does. Because uh, that's what dark humor does, right? Like, it makes you chuckle, but because, like, you're uncomfortable at the same time. Yeah. And I mean, like, I honestly, like, I am, I'm not really sure where, like, what direction the rest of it is going to go, because Hold on to that I thought. think I could see us. Uh, Hold on to that. I want to do that at the end. Cause okay. Okay. That is, cool, that, cool, is cool, a, cool. that is a very sharp left turn. Okay. Cool. Yeah. No. That's. Yeah. We should save that. Uh, okay. So let me say to an earlier point that like like we're talking about the premise, right? Yes. Um. Like. Uh. You know. I. I think that like. You know. We were talking about like whether you can kill people or not. You know. And it's like I think basically kind of the implication is that you can. You know, like, you know, he was talking about his, like, lethality rate yes. is less than 1%. Right. So you could absolutely kill people uh, uh, and, like, there's no legal ramifications. You know, it's like a PR situation. Right. And they have people that deal with that, you know? Like, like but he's not, like... He's not being upbraided or anything. He's basically like, basically they're like, you're doing a good job. You know, after right. he's just like blasted somebody's leg off, which by you know, the way, like, they're cool with false positives. By the way, we should say that he shot somebody's leg off and that person, uh, willingly decided to take part in that because he wasn't actually a shoplifter. He was paid. Yeah. He by, was hired. Yeah. He was hired by the manager, uh, to like test the the loss prevention aspect of the whole thing, so he hired a shoplifter and then hired this other guy uh, to like make it seem like maybe he was with the shoplifter to see if the loss prevention officer would catch that, and he did. So this guy knew he could possibly get killed. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know how they pitched it per se with the with the like Craigslist uh, posting was. But, uh, like, yeah, to that point, I, I think my, I would segue into, you know, like, that was set up by this guy who works in, like, middle management. Yes. Um, Lance. Uh, so, like, I feel like there was a moment where he was implying that somehow he has some connection to the main character and, like, the things that he can do or something, you know, like he's got a hand in his deal. Did you, did you get that sense? So the way that I read it is that they're like explicitly training these people to act this way as some kind of like social experiment in like making people even more capitalistic mm -hmm. and social experiment is not the right thing. Cause that might imply like some kind of like greater good maybe, um, this is not a great, a good story. It's just a profit thing. Um, but yeah, there, there's definitely, he did, he definitely had a hand in this guy's training in the way that he acts. Um, but also like it, it might start from the beginning, right? Like the person would have to have a certain attitude towards things and then you can mold that attitude into what you want it to be. Yeah. I mean, like. It's it's interesting, I think, what they're what they're trying to suggest with that. As it is interesting to see this guy that, like, by turns is you know like what the promotional material touts as Judge Dredd. 
you know, yeah. like shoot first and ask questions later. And, uh, a salesman, you know, like a dude that is pointing you towards sales and like encouraging you to buy things. Right. Right. But we see though that like maybe not everyone's cool with this, right? Because we do see the guy who I assumed was the CEO of the company. Do they say mm-hmm. it? He, they, they do say it, right? He's the CEO. They definitely imply that he's upper management. I don't, I don't, yes. like, and they all know who he is. Yes, they all know who he is. Uh, so when you first see him, he's texting with his wife and she's basically like asking for a divorce, right? Like they may go into therapy or whatever and it's not working out. Uh, she's like, I'm sorry. And so he's like really depressed, goes down into the store to the sporting goods section to buy a gun. And somehow this other lady in upper management like realizes what's happening. Um, I didn't quite get how she realized that. Maybe I missed it. And if I did, please tell me how. Um, but she's like, we need to go to sporting goods right now. Right. And so she grabs Nussbaum and, and they go. And like everyone's filming the whole thing for some reason. Uh, this guy wanting to look at a gun and the salesman's like super helpful, right? Like trying to get him to buy this gun. And she's like yelling across the store, don't give him the gun. Uh, and they end up knocking him out. I don't know if he's dead or not, but he's definitely like super unconscious. And if he's in upper management and he's feeling this way, I wonder if that's going to have any kind of impact in the story. Right. Cause it's not like he feels bad about what his company is doing to people. He's, he's depressed because he's getting divorced. Right. So like, even though. Maybe it seems like he has no consciousness, no no ability to care about other people. Uh, that's obviously not true because he's very depressed about this whole thing with his wife. Yeah, um, I, I I agree. Like he uh, he's certainly sensitive in that respect, um, and I I'm not sure exactly where they're going with that piece of it. Perhaps it just sets up kind of an internal power struggle where he's out of commission and and people are grappling to try and take his place or something but like it it takes up a lot of space to not ever come back again so it definitely sets up a a power struggle thing and and that's something that we see hints of uh even from the beginning right when that middle management guy uh he gets stopped by that one girl that's working in the cubicle and she's like i'm gonna kick your ass in sales uh, and he's like, you're not even like on the level to smell my farts. So like, don't even bother. Um, and like, he wants to move up into upper management, right? Like, that's why he's doing this whole experiment with the employees. Um, so maybe there is some of that, but I also think like, and maybe it's cause I'm trying to look at the good side of things as well. Like, even when you have people like this guy, uh, that's like, corrupting the idea of capitalism into some like uber thing i don't know whatever uh even like those people that do really shitty things and it feels like they're just completely egocentric uh even those people are people and they have families and they have struggles and bad stuff they have to deal with and so maybe you can sympathize with those people instead of just being like, oh, just impeach the guy. He sucks. I mean, the guy might be crazy, 
But like, you know, he's got a family, he's got kids, right? He's a person just like you, uh, regardless of how you feel about anything else. Yeah, I, I like certainly like that's possible, you know, uh, the I feel like the main character, by contrast, really seems to be kind of a cardboard cut out of this guy who's, you know, like, like, like he's coming out of a mold or something, you know, and like, in his spare time, he's like, he's like muttering, uh, like corporate slogans to himself, you know, like, so he, like, I don't know, I think they, the representation in this issue is that he kind of, it, like, he drank the Kool-Aid or whatever, and, you know, he can't imagine a life that's not the store, you know? And, like, he tells a customer in the issue, like, you know, he kind of makes reference to, like, what it's like outside, you know? Yeah. Like, sh- shudder to think a, a life that exists outside this place that I work, you know? Um and I don't know if that is the kind of natural segue to, like, the end of the issue when, you know, he, he drops down below the store and he finds, for real, the whole world <laughs> that is, like, hidden to everything uh, that doesn't play by those rules. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, if if the concept of things were not ridiculous enough... Uh, as they're presented, our, our main character falls through like a hatch on the floor in this like back hallway of the store and drops down into like a ginormous cave system, uh, that has an entire city that's been built in there. And the city apparently has like all the employees that just like quit working at the store, I guess. That's, that's kind of what I got out of it. Um, and it seems like they kind of got fed up with living in this kind of culture and just receded to create their own society where people are free to make decisions and they're not like constantly being sold something or told what to think or what to buy. And he's not having it, right? Cause that's totally against what they want, the system wants you to do. So he loads his gun up and he's going to go kill everybody, including the children. That's what he says. Yeah. I mean, it's like that, that is a, you know, a fundamental threat to the store, you know, to his employer, you know? Mm -hmm. And I I don't know if if like the implication is just, I don't know. If there's a series of cities, that seems like a lot of people you have to kill Mm -hmm. to like, that's a lot of people for one dude to kill. Right. But like, I guess the idea that, like, even anything that exists outside of this system that you've bought into is, like, an existential threat to that system. And, you know, like, he's just programmed that he's got to smash and destroy, you know? Yes. Well, and I think, I mean, I I could be projecting, because I don't think, I don't know if we have necessarily enough just solely on this issue and what we saw uh, but it seems to me like it could end up being uh, a commentary on uh, like the the tribalism that we're seeing a lot in politics, right? We're like, if it doesn't, if you're not doing what my people believe in, then you're wrong, and I gotta go after you, right? Regardless of what it is, like I'm gonna 
I'm going to get everyone together. We're going to impeach your ass. Like, I'm going to go buy a gun and shoot up a, a dozen people at a mall. Like, whatever, right? Because you guys are wrong, and we need to uphold our ideals, and this is how we do it. Like, there could be some of that going on in here. I, I mean, I, I think maybe it's more akin to kind of, like, like corporate propaganda that actually exists, like, in our world, that, that like, you know, the idea that you have to defer to, like, quote-unquote the free market, which basically means, like, a few, like, insanely large companies that control everything, uh, and, you know, like, anything that's a threat to that, you're kind of, like... I, like engaged against that, you know, like I got, I, I don't know how to express it. You know, it's like this kind of astroturfing that you get on, let's say Fox news mm-hmm. where like, like we have to defend the right of big corporations to exploit working people and consumers and basically anything like in the pursuit of, larger profits you know mm-hmm. and that's a thing that exists that's, sure. that's that's you can turn on the tv today and and watch it for sure mm-hmm. yeah matter of fact I so just like, saw, yeah I, I just saw an article on the uh the, the fine that pg&e has to pay in california for that explosion like 10 years ago oh nice yeah uh they got a uh, p pg&e has like uh six felony charges I mean, PG&E is done, dude. I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, not to get too political, but I th- I feel like they already went bankrupt. Like they they're done, but it's like a it's an energy monopoly, right? So like sure. I don't like what's gonna happen? You're just gonna wipe clean the liability, and somebody's gonna buy the assets and create another energy monopoly. Yes. You're like okay, exactly. You just bail them out. If you don't bail him out, then what are we going to do? We can't not have the system. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, like, I, maybe not, uh, like, the most topical thing to this conversation. I don't know. I, I, think, I, don't it's wanna... pretty, I think it's pretty topical based on the, the context of the book. Mm. Yeah. I mean, like, okay, let, let me ask you. Like, we kind of hinted at it, but where do you think it's going, you know? Like... I, I feel like the, the th- this is his story, right? So it's it's through his lens, and the, that lens is going to be somebody being like, "You've been brainwashed." Correct. Well, it, it'll uh, it'll go one of two ways, right? He'll go to this place and realize he's been living a lie all along, or he'll go to this place, not realize that, and continue to just be a sheep. Mm-hmm. Obviously, probably hurting a lot of people along the way uh but it's not like he's not doing that anyway right like even at one percent fatality rate i mean he stopped like a dozen people in this issue right in one shift so one out of a hundred people he's killing he's killing like three or four people a week yeah and it's i mean it's unclear kind of like what what the, the liability is when something like that happens like obviously there's no personal liability but maybe the company like just pays people off. Um, I mean, also clear, unclear, like what the burden of proof is, mm-hmm. you know, it's, like, I feel like there's a little bit of almost like thought crime. Like he, like he cuffs 
the people who were just looking at something and they're like, you were going to steal it though, you know? Right. So, so like that dude who, who was a teenager looking at headphones, he can actually serve time because like he, you know, this dude thought he was going to steal it. Sure. So, I mean, like, I don't know if they're going to flesh that out further. Like what is the, the actual ins and outs of the premise? You know, we may already be past that. Yeah. Well, I also don't think there's really many repercussions, right? Because um, people have very short memory spans. Uh, like in that one incident with the CEO, the the upper management lady, the boss lady, she's like, uh, "Just get everyone new phones, right?" Like, and I could see it, right? Like yeah. they go home and they're like, "Oh, you're not gonna believe what happened. I went to the caucus store and this guy almost shot a bunch of people up." But you're not gonna believe it. I got a new phone. Look at this phone. It's so cool. Blah, blah 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 blah. And like, it's all about the phone. Yeah, yeah. That was that was pretty smart. Yes. See, don't be a sheeple. All right. Anything else on this book? Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I I think we did a pretty good job. I think we did an excellent job. Pat pat yourself on the back, Travis. I'm doing it. <laughs> Good job. Uh, very good. Give me uh, give me a rating. I'm going to go four out of five. Um, I am also going to go a four out of five. I'm also going to go out a four out of five. Uh, really interesting. And I think uh, going through this, uh, I, obviously we both picked up on a lot of things. Um, but I definitely picked some things up that you didn't and you picked some things up that I didn't. Uh, so I'm, I'm really glad we got to discuss this book. Because uh, I definitely missed some of the stuff that you that you talked about. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's going to wrap yeah. up this like, show. It's very oh. high concept. Yes, for sure. And I appreciate that. Yes. So, uh, like, how how you balance the, the high concept with like I don't know the the specifics of character and story? Like, I, I don't know. That's going to be the trick. Yeah. Uh, next week we have three books. Good week, man. Dark Red number seven, Killer Groove number five, that's the final issue, and then we've got Midnight Vista number two. I'm excited. I'm going to talk about aliens the whole time. Yeah. Uh, you can, of course, find us all on Twitter. Ronnie is at Romar316. Tell him hello. He's getting married this weekend, Travis. Uh, I'm heading out there tomorrow. You can find Travis yeah. at The Great Magnet. You can find me at Geekvine and the show at aftershock pod thank you for listening we'll catch you next week